But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> was it a Lucy? It was a I Love Lucy episode, I think. Was okay. there an I Love Lucy episode where she put too much soap in the washing machine? And I have a memory of some sitcom that had an episode where the main character put too much soap in the washing machine and the foam started coming out of it and it just filled the house with soap bubbles. Do you, does, does this ring a bell for anybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it Lila Lucy? I, okay. I, yeah, I, was, I'll it, take your word for it. Um, I don't remember that specific episode. Let's because, because that happened again just the other day. Yeah, yeah. This this happened like ten years ago or so. Well, back when I was was running Avweb, so maybe twenty years or so. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It happened. Um, uh, and the the artwork we got uh, as uh, coming out of that was it was a hangar. There were a couple of hawkers, some biz jets in there and whatnot. And and it was like a scene. It was like you know the scene from Jaws. Where you just got a tail sticking out of this sea of foam, and you go dun 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 dun, and just horrendous. But it's happened again. Yeah, it has happened again. So it wasn't soap suds. This is in San Jose, California, right? And a what what did happen? So some I would imagine what happened was a fire retardant system went crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. And and like Generally. not only and not only flooded the uh, the uh, you know whatever hangar or whatever, but went out onto the city streets. And uh, there's some great pictures of the of this of a couple of city streets in San Jose with a with a wave of uh, of uh, you know foam coming down. There's it's amazing how much foam we got dispensed here. I mean, um, uh, whoever makes makes this system uh, should maybe use this as a. Uh, uh, an advertisement or something, except you know maybe for the the trigger mechanism, might need some work. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a shall we say a buttload of foam out there. There is a lot. Yes, that's an official measurement. That's a, a unit of measure. Yes, that's, uh, a, that's, a buttload of foam. Buttload. Yes. Um, what's the story here? Do we know what happened? What caused this? The story says a fire alarm malfunctioned, which is about as generic an explanation for something like this as you could come up with. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but, uh... Um, and and apparently the, it's somewhat somewhat caustic, somewhat, you know, like, don't breathe the air kind of thing, right? Is that true? Well, again, yeah, it's this, not, this... Not like Kaline. Right. Yeah. But... Yeah. Uh, the story says that the, the foam is a skin irritant. And you know, thinking back to that episode I mentioned vis-a-vis Abweb uh, back in the day, um, my recollection from various discussions associated with that is that the foam is also um, perhaps corrosive, which of course is not really a good thing for aluminum airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, but. <sighs> What are you going to do? You know, get a, get the hose out, get the vacuum out. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The internet thinks that it was "I Love Lucy." Um, there's a lot of hits for "I Love Lucy" soap suds episode. Um, although I can't find an image, I was looking for a picture that that uh, rings a bell to me. But uh, so, uh, 
but I think it was repeated on the Brady Bunch, too. Uh, well, you know, it's going to be a bit, right? You know, I mean, first of all, Lucy probably got it from somebody else. But even if she didn't, everybody's going to, you know. Well, Lucy was so early, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot ahead of her to get stuff from. Well, that's true. That's exactly right. I started to type soap suds in, in Google. Yeah. And autocomplete gives me soap suds enema. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving right along. Moving on. Um, in a, another story in, in aviation news of the weird this week um, is uh, flying an airplane with no hands. Um, I, I used only my mind to fly a plane around Seattle is apparently uh -huh. the headline. And, and my first reaction to this was, well, I'm, I'm hoping that you're pretty much using your mind to fly the airplane all the time. But I think that's not what they meant. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Jeb, you called so, our attention to this story. Didn't yeah. You? So let me, yeah, this is, this was on Wired, uh, Wired's website. And um, uh, Honeywell, uh, longstanding uh, uh, avionics and, and uh, uh, component manufacturer for, for general aviation, uh, has been working on a system um, um, for a you, long time. For apparently a long time. Um, basically, it, the, the physical uh, um, evidence of this is basically a uh, uh, kind of like a swimming cap, a skull cap. It says it has 32 different electrodes on it. Uh, you put some conducting gel on your head and then put this cap on and, okay. and, yeah. and configure it a little bit. Uh -huh. And, and um, guy is sitting in uh, the right seat of a King Air C90, uh -huh. uh, and is able to. Basically, what as I understand it, the the software projects um, kind of cycles between various directions on a screen, and once the eyeball focuses on the screen and concentrates on. Uh, where the the um, the symbology is on the screen, it, doing that, focusing, concentrating on that symbology, uh, um, on the symbol, say for climb or for turn left, mm -hmm. uh, will make the airplane climb or turn left, as as the case may be. And um, you know, look, Ma, no hands kind of takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah, really. Um, but. Uh, interesting very very interesting uh, I, I guess, yeah, um story and I mean, technology from a technology demonstration point of view it is yeah. you know I, and i'm making light of this and kind of making a little fun of it um but and, and david maybe this is what you were alluding to i'm suddenly i'm suddenly uh, flashing back to some stories about uh, military pilot helmets that have some sort of some sort of brain well, you remember you're, you remember the movie firefox yeah, I just that was a, a the Clint Eastwood flick where he, right, right. he had he had to learn how to think in Russian uh -huh. to steal this Russian uh, fighter jet oh, that was okay. controlled by brain thought. All right, I, I do remember that movie. I, that's not what I'm remembering. The story I'm remembering. Maybe it's that uh, these these high tech helmets that fighter pilots wear have um, can recognize eye movement and know where you're looking on the heads up screen or something like that. And that uh, is that is true. That some yeah. of these high tech helmets do have that capability. The the primary I think um, thing about these helmets is first of all they're custom made for to fit the pilot. Right. Secondly, um, they have all kinds of different optics in them. Um, forget heads up. You have you know an ocular uh, um, a video screen. Mm 
um, that provides various uh, other information. And of course, they, they do track eye movements. Correct. And I'm sure one of our listeners will say, but they, you know, they also do X, Y, and Z. And and uh, the the tracking the eye movements and, and having the ocular uh, video screen is uh, those things. I'm sure of. Yeah. yeah, but all those things are different than having it literally read your mind, which is what that's yeah Seattle yeah. people have done. Yeah, no, for that you got you got to hire somebody from a Las Vegas magic act. <laughs> well, there's there's that, and then you know, uh, do you really want your airplane reading your mind? Do you <laughs> yeah, really, really do, do you yeah. really want that on the FDR? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful uh, uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire, where we had the first ice on the water on the lake this this morning. Um, and uh, this is the, the the progression. The normal seasonal progression is that we'll get mornings where there's a little bit of little film of ice, which will melt off by ten o'clock in the morning or so, which is exactly what it's done. That being, I had a I had a buddy of mine. Yeah. Um, you've met him, David. Uh, lives up in Albany, New York. Sent me a photo of his uh, back deck uh-huh. with about three three inches of snow on it uh-huh. on Sunday. Yeah. And I I sent him a picture of my Saturday, which was on a boat with uh, um, um, uh, attractive people. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and and right. he, was, he, he was distressed. Yeah, I bet. I, I, similar. Well, I, and, and I'll, po- I'll do it again in January, but last January I posted pictures that were like two days apart. One showed me standing up here with snow in the background, and then two days later I took a picture of me in, in bathing suit in front of your pool. Right. And, uh, so, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to that again. But, I I didn't I don't remember seeing that picture, which is probably a good thing. But I should but see now I've gotten distracted here. Um, I want to say hi to my two good friends <laughs> who I'm talking with here in our virtual curses foiled. Oh really? Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Jeb Burnside. Hi Jeb, how you doing this morning? I'm I'm fine. Uh, the weather is great. Um, having a good day. My kids are down for the holiday. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, one of they're kind of sleeping in and indoor uh, in the other room, catching uh, catching up on their uh, television and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just just having a relaxing week so far. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, yeah. thank you for taking a few minutes away from from family to. Uh, oh, that's to okay. With us. Yeah. yeah, happily. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. David Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing? Spiffy. <laughs> Dave's, Dave's still recovering. Dave's still a little under the weather. He's been he's been not feeling well for a few days, and so uh, that's that's the thing I thank him for is for uh, for taking a few minutes from. You haven't actually been in a sick bed. You're just not feeling well, and uh, you may be hurting his uh, voice. Uh, hope, hoping that the leaves in my yard dry out from a little bit of rain this morning, so that I can collect them, dispose of them, and get. And, and stop tracking them into the house in the office. Oh, yeah, what okay. Is, what is this rain of which you speak? <laughs> I what know, the... rain and leaves and uh, uh, whatnot. So, uh, anyways, um, yeah, so we're definitely into fall. Even Florida's into fall, I think, a little bit. But uh, Yeah, it is, so, yeah. Anyways. Hey, uh, on a somber note here, um, it's been a little while. It's been kind of an unusually long, for a variety of reasons, a long break since the last time we recorded this podcast. And since the last time, just a few days after we recorded our our most recent episode, um, a very, very sad thing happened, and that was uh, aviation legend Bob Hoover passed away. Um, And uh, it, it, not surprisingly, has generated an outpouring of 
of, uh, of memories and, 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 and adulation and, and whatnot for this guy who was just a, an awesome pilot and, and a very, very nice man. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't, I never met the man. I don't think I was ever even in the same room with him, but I was a huge fan of his and loved, I had an opportunity to watch him fly his routine probably as many as 10 different times um, before he finally retired. Would have got to see it a few more times if the FAA hadn't, or if a particular FISDO hadn't lost its mind and grounded him for a period of time. But uh, it was a great routine, and it's unfortunate if you never got a chance to see it. Um, I saw him fly the Rockwell Commander, and I saw him fly the Mustang a few times, which was a very different kind of routine. But uh, They they were jaw-droppers for anybody seeing them the first time. And awe-inspiring for people that saw it repeated times. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's some video out there of of, uh, of Bob flying some of these maneuvers in the uh, Shrike Commander while pouring tea. I know, isn't that a great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's, he's, so doing, cool. he's doing a roll and pouring tea into a glass on the glare shield. So, and yeah. that if that's not if that's not a demonstration of precision control uh i can't imagine anything better existing yeah well and and, and, and on so many different levels so one of the uh, sort of memorial sort of ways of honoring uh, bob hoover that was on youtube recently was a, a regular person if you will a regular person recreating that sort of all right so he was apparently in the uh passenger seat of some sort of aerobatic aircraft holding an empty glass in one hand and a small pitcher in the other hand, and you could see the horizon out of the back of the airplane. And as the airplane did its roll, he poured the drink into the glass, all right, to recreate, all right? And I'm watching him going, well, yeah, that's pretty cool, except remember, Bob Hoover did it while he was also flying the airplane. Right. And using his wrong hand to, he was actually awkwardly reaching across the yoke in order Uh to pour the tea. I mean, just... You know, think about the the conflicting control inputs that you've got to do there, right? First of all, you got to fly the airplane in this role, all right, which takes some coordination, although I'm sure Bob Hoover could do it in his sleep. Um, but then while you're doing those control inputs and kind of watching the horizon, you're also, with the other hand, putting in control. Talk about patting your head and rubbing your stomach. I mean, right. goodness gracious. Right. Yeah. A- awesome, awesome pilot. Like I said, I never had an opportunity to meet him. Have I, did either of you meet him ever? I met Bob the first time at the 1982 Dayton Air Show, where uh, they were letting ultralights participate for the first time. And Glider Rider magazine, uh, whose publisher was uh, inducted into the uh, Ultralight Hall of Fame at EAA a couple of weeks ago, Tracy Canoss. Tracy sent me to Dayton to cover this show because of the ultralights there. And it was an eye-opening experience for me on so many levels. I was such a rookie. Uh, I'd never been to a, a show that large uh, and diverse before. I'd done one sun and fun. I was about to do my first Oshkosh. Uh, and I watched Bob fly the Shrike commander routine, which included some maneuvers with both engines shut down and the landing gear out. Yeah. And he landed, and another act took off, and Bob taxied over to the uh, hard stand where the air show aircraft were parked. And he got out of one airplane and got into Old Yeller, his P-51. 
and he went out and he did a similar routine uh, in the Mustang, uh, engine off, gear out, one gear down, both gear down, uh, slow roll down the runway, all this energy management stuff, except at the end of this act, yeah. Bob taxied over and shut down in front of the media pen. Uh-huh. Slid the canopy back, hopped up after he unstrapped, put on his uh, straw hat, mm-hmm. got out, put on his uh, seersucker jacket, came down and proceeded to sign autographs and shake hands and was swarmed. I couldn't get close to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that evening, the Dayton Air Show folks had this wonderful hospitality suite for the air show acts and the media and we all get to mingle, and it's an open bar. And I uh, approached Mr. Hoover after he'd gotten a drink and uh, introduced myself and shook his hand and said, I'd not seen his act before, but I'd never forget what I'd seen that day. He invited me to sit down with a couple of the other air show pilots, a couple of guys from the CAF, uh, who the next day gave me my first ride in a B-17. But after that, every time we bumped into one another, we'd uh, shake hands, say hello. I met him here in Wichita several times when he participated in safety stand-down. Uh, a more gracious, genuine human being I've never met in aviation. I've heard that from many, many different directions. Yeah, And, and, and how many great stories start with, it was an open bar. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, do you have any but particular that, Bob that Hoover opens, memories? No, I, I, I don't in the sense um, I n- never was up close and personal with him like, like Dave has been. Um, I've seen him numerous times. I, I just sent you all a couple of photos. Uh, uh, those were taken at uh, Sun and Fun 2000, uh, which was the last time or supposedly the last time that Bob Hoover had flown, uh, flew, I should say, the the Shrike Commander, uh-huh. um, and it was retired and and then I think donated to the Smithsonian after that flight. Which event was that again? I'm sorry. Sun and Fun 2000. Yeah. See, I was there too. That's right. I yeah. thought I, I was trying to figure out whether that was a good yeah. memory, uh, an accurate memory that that yeah. I saw him do his last flight, and I think I did as well. Yeah. Coincidentally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Um, I never spent. I, I never really even shook his hand, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen him all over, you know, uh, all the air shows and and book signings and and uh, uh, booths at Oshkosh and, and whatnot, kind of that. And um, I just didn't feel worthy. Mm-hmm. I, I can sort of I identify just, with that. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would have had the. I don't know if courage is the right word, but the whatever to to say, you know. So, anyways, yeah. yeah, Bob Hoover was a was a just a, a spectacular member of the aviation community. On some, well, I, th- I think it was Jimmy Doolittle uh, who was uh, led the raid on Tokyo, Doolittle's Raiders, uh, mm-hmm. in 1942, and uh, went on to become a lieutenant general in the Air Force before he retired. Uh, and Doolittle called Bob Hoover the greatest stick and rudder pilot. Of all times. Yeah. And it, coming from an extraordinary stick and rudder pilot himself, uh, is Jimmy Doolittle's track record before the war yeah. was extraordinary in its own right. Uh, 
And uh, I can't think of a higher compliment than than one great stick and rudder man complimenting another great stick and rudder man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Hoover escaped from a German POW camp and made his way back to England by stealing, I believe it, it was a Focke-Wulf uh, FW-190. I believe that's correct. Uh-huh. With all, all the instrumentation in German, all the switches in German. Yeah, I know. Really, talking about talk about Clint Eastwood having to learn to think in Russian. That's like, yeah. <laughs> that's right. well, well, and, really and, did that, you know. And and, uh, and and thinking about this guy who's you know whose whose plan is to steal this airplane and get back to England. Now, I can only imagine what he must have been playing with in his head to try to enter England's airspace. In an aircraft with German markings, mm-hmm. and you know, an enemy fighter plane. Yeah, I know. How do you get through, you know, friend or you know, ID friend or foe stuff with that? I don't know how that would work exactly, but I've never heard the story how he managed to pull that off. But he did, and having a complete F one ninety delivered to their intelligence people was uh, also a goldmine. It was uh, Bob Hoover. He flew in with all the engines out. He landed. He rolled yeah, right up in yeah, front of the tower, yeah. got out and waved his hat. All right? Come on. Yeah. 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 Anyways, there was a, uh, just this past week, there was what must have been an incredibly moving memorial ceremony for Bob Hoover um, out, I believe it was at Van Nuys Airport out in, uh, in the L.A. area. And uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of reports about it and seeing a lot of video. There was a series of flybys um, that were that, I, that I've seen the videos that really brought a tear to my eye. Um, and especially the uh, the uh, um, I'm not sure I want to call it the missing man formation, but it's the right. uh, it's the formation where to remember a fallen pilot, um, a, a group of planes will approach and then one of them will will peel off. Um, and in this particular case, I believe it was the yellow. Uh, uh, it was. It, it, was, it was, was old. It was old yeller. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the final formation was a, th- a three or four aircraft. One of them being the P fifty one. That as it was passing overhead, it peeled off and flew off on its own to the horizon. It, it was yeah, sp- special thanks to a uh, good friend and, and good friend of the podcast, Fred Johnson, yeah. for sharing that, for being there for being and there. sharing those videos with us. Yeah. Very much appreciated. Yeah. And it goes without saying, we'll uh, have, so have a link in the, uh, in the notes for, uh, for you to, you can take a look at those videos. Anyways, Bob Hoover, um, uh, a terrific life in aviation, a terrific, terrific life in general. And, uh, um, you know, and a genuine human being. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's see now. How do you move on from that, um, Jeb? What the? So this this uh, Air Greenland aircraft uh, did a yeah. rescue thing, right? Um, yeah. What happened here? This, this is a story in, in uh, the Aviation Herald um, uh, over Greenland earlier this month. Um, uh, a twin Cessna type, specific type, un, unspecified, um, had an engine failure in the flight levels. Um, and uh, was in drift-down mode, and all of a sudden, the, its destination and closest uh, airports were getting socked in. They also uh, incurred some kind of a navigation system failure, um, and were on the radio, you know, looking around for help. And a uh, scheduled uh, uh, Air Greenland uh, Dash Eight uh, twin turboprop commuter. Uh, uh, regional regional uh, uh, airliner um, diverted and um, were able to uh, help them find some weather that, that they could uh, they could reasonably land in. 
um, help them uh, uh, navigate to that uh, that particular runway, and uh, everybody got on the ground safe and sound. And uh, uh, it's it's kind of a really neat story. We'll put a link into the show notes again to, to talk about some of this, but. Uh, um, um, chalk up a save uh, know, to the huh? da- to the Dash Eight crew. That's that's really phenomenal. Now, I, I, yeah, I, go ahead, Je- David. Go ahead. I was going to say it, it, the weather in that part of the world can change so yeah. quickly and so dramatically. Uh, and I've been in and out of North Sarsawak, uh in a De Havilland Dash Seven. And that's not an airport that you want to go into if the wind is cross uh, to any degree. And if the ceiling is below about 500 feet, because there are, you, you got to fly up a fjord. And there are cliffs on either side that make coming in low, uh, let's say, not advisable if yeah. you can't see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, GPS precision notwithstanding. Uh, that's a very unforgiving uh, uh, piece of territory. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's but two airports in Greenland that you could qualify as forgiving airports in a variety of conditions. North Sarsawak is definitely not one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, am I picturing this correctly? The, the, the nature of the assistance that the Dash 8 provided was to go and actually get in sight of the other aircraft? So that he yeah. could sort of be in loose formation to follow him in. Is that? If, yeah, ultimately that's correct. The, the Dash 8 also used its TCAS right. uh, to, to identify the, the, the uh, distressed aircraft mm-hmm. and then uh, um, apparently get in front of it yep. and, uh, um, for, so that the distressed aircraft could follow. And uh, it's, I, didn't, I haven't read this recently. It says, the Dash 8 followed 3,000 feet above the Cessna. With flaps extended um, to match speeds, um, there was sufficient fuel on board the Cessna um, while heading towards the ultimate destination, which I cannot pronounce. Um, the, the two aircraft finally became visual, mm-hmm. um, and um, even the Cessna even had a radio had a, a calm radio problem apparently. Um, but um, um, once the uh, uh, once the Dash Eight got the uh, Cessna within visual range of the runway, um, Cessna landed safely. The Dash Eight remained airborne and 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 uh, went on to its ultimate destination. Apparently, the Dash Eight had just scads of fuel for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's you know that's always one of the and you, I you believe can... it's pronounced Nook, which is. The, the city that they, the Dash 8 led the oh, okay. Cessna to. Okay. Wait, wait, okay. it's pronounced it's, Nook. It must be spelled really unusually. How's, what's this? Uh, N-double-N-double-one more try. N-U-U-K. Okay, so it's just Nook. Okay, all right. Okay. Okay. It's yeah, also well, the capital of Greenland. So. There's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, I know. Not, uh, <laughs> well, that's some great piloting on the uh, on the on everybody's part. On yeah. everybody's part, but uh, um, you know, you know, there's a there's a sort of a, a well, I mean, more than sort of, there is in fact a, a truism about the maritime world that uh, that uh, a mariner will always go to the aid of a distressed mariner, um, and it's obviously true for avi- aviators as well. That's pretty cool. That's a great story. That's a great story. Well, and the Cessna not only lost an engine, but subsequent to that, it lost all of its nav capability, too. It was literally in the blind. Yeah. Uh, and 
compass reliability that far north yeah. is a little bit shaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you, you know, you're having a bad day when you lose an engine, lose comms, lose nav, and uh, there's no place to land. You, you know you're having a bad day. Yeah. And a Pathfinder shows up and leads you home. I know. Yep. An angel. An angel. Yeah. Um, another bit of great piloting here. Um, so this is a follow-up from a story we talked about a couple episodes ago, perhaps last episode, about the uh, 767 um, uh, on takeoff roll in Chicago um, that had an emergency and stopped on managed to stop on the runway um, and... Uh, an engine failure of some sort. Engine. Oh, that was the one with the catastrophic uh, turbine failure, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uncontained. And, yeah. Uncontained. Jeb, you called our attention to a particular aspect of the early NTSB report. What was that? Well, um, the reaction times. Yeah. Uh, the the NTSB preliminary, or, or I should say, a media update. Uh, not a preliminary report, but a media update on this event. Um, <clears throat> reported uh, i'll just read it yeah um uh, preliminary fdr data show that the right engine failure occurred at an airspeed of about 128 knots with the engine operating at takeoff power <clears throat> approximately two seconds after the engine failure at an airspeed of about 134 knots the left and right engine throttle lever angles decreased rapidly Coincident with the throttle movement, brake pressure rose in a manner consistent with maximum auto brake application, and the auto speed brakes were extended. The aircraft rapidly decelerated, coming to a stop about 25 seconds after the throttle reduction. This crew was so on top of things, yeah. so well-trained, yeah. they immediately recognized what was going on and initiated recovery actions in two seconds. Two seconds. That's that's just amazing it to me. It is really, really remarkable. I'd, I'd be sitting there, what, huh? Yeah, what uh, George, was that noise? Yeah, I know. George, George, what's wrong? Yeah. And, wh- and why are we not on the center line anymore? Yeah. They, I, yeah, a truly remarkable thing that, that within two, you know, because that's that's not only the amount of time it took them to get their hand on the throttle. I mean, I would, I would, actually, I think they keep I, their hand on the throttle. Levers, I, I would they? think they had their, I, but, I certainly have mine on the throttle yeah, but, uh, on, you know, on the takeoff. But. To, to assess the situation and act that quickly is just remarkable and, and yeah. quite a, yet another p- bit of great piloting. D- David, yeah. what do you think? That that crew was on its game. Uh, somebody had their hands on the throttle through the whole thing. I mean, and that's, that's pretty much SOP. Uh, and I think the instant the, uh, the uh, aircraft started to yaw because of the drop in power on one side, they, and they got engine alerts instantly on the panel and that's when the throttles came back and that that whole process took two seconds that's faster than a recognition time for the average human being I know. That's right. exactly yeah. right not only did they recognize but they acted and acted correctly yep. and and uh, we're still able to talk about it yeah so, power yeah. and brakes within two yeah. seconds that's just yeah. terrific congratulations to them that's just awesome um Video of uh, this is off field landing of the week. We don't have one every week anymore. We don't do it every week either, but you, you get my point. Uh, this is a pretty good one. This is a pretty good one because not only do we have someone to congratulate who got his airplane on the ground safely, but we've got video of it. That doesn't usually happen. Um, well, somebody describe this to me here. It's a uh, what kind of airplane uh, was this? It's a, this uh, Aviat Husky, as I recall. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm looking and waiting for this video to load, but uh, um, the the um, Dink. 
there. Okay. The coinkadink in all of this was that um, the airplane sat down on a, um, um, a law enforcement training facility. Uh, this was actually in Seminole County, Florida. And apparently this, this training facility has um, uh, like uh, um, um, driver training, um, um, a kind of a track kind of thing involved, so it's paved. Yep. There, um, but at the time, there was uh, a training exercise going on. Oh, was there? I didn't know that part. And, and, and one of the, one of the uh, aspects of the training exercise was an airborne helicopter uh, shooting video. Uh, of this training exercise. Uh-huh. And, oh, that's and, why. Okay, yep. And so so in, in the middle of this training exercise, everybody starts to say, hey, wait a second, there's an airplane, there's an airplane. Looks like he's trying to land. And um, the airplane touches down, kind of wasn't the best landing I've seen, um, and, and uh, veered off the, um, uh, I almost call it a, uh, veered off the pavement and collided, colliding with a chain link fence. That was kind of the ultimate uh, 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 end of the right. uh, of the flight, but um, um, then all these people, you know, converge and, and whatnot. It looks like the airplane will survive, or or survive. It has damage to both wings and and uh, right. and whatnot. But uh, uh, clearly, the, the the people on the airplane got out okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, it, it's not often that you actually have video of an airplane, uh, a light airplane, mm-hmm. uh, um, making an off-field landing like this. Yeah. No. Congratulations to this pilot for for doing yeah. a good job getting down safely. I have to admit, though, I watched this and I'm thinking, okay, because if the the very very beginning of the video shows this big paved pad that is apparently mm-hmm. part of the training facility, and I can only imagine that the pilot is in the air, all right, and the engine fails or whatever the problem was, all right, and he looks around and he sees this monstrous paved pad and he says right i'm, I'm golden all right this is Dude, good. I yeah got made, this, okay yeah and then he sets up all right and no criticism of the pilot because he did a great job getting on the ground but he didn't get it down quite quickly enough all right um and so he basically overshot the paved pad or touched down midfield or something like that um and then the rollout and then he's thinking okay well there's, there's a there's a road right there i'm just going to roll straight down this paved road this is perfect okay and then he kind of drifted a little bit to the side and hit this fence which was on the grass to the side the fence may have hitting the fence may have been a good thing because it might have prevented him you know arrest because he was about to go into some traffic and some parking lots and and whatnot well that's that's true it's it's hard to it's hard to say and, and it's hard to second guess yeah um, and, I sh- and i don't mean to second guess but I, yeah. I i have to confess that this kind of crossed my mind it's kind of like cool look at that pad oh i'm gonna miss the pad. which by the way is a replay of my initial private pilot check ride okay <laughs> maybe that's why this comes to my mind all right i i basically i very nearly busted my private pilot check ride because i was going to overshoot the uh the or, or, or undershoot or whatever i had a great field in sight and and i'm lining i'm, I'm coming down i'm you know we're you know we're like reduced power simulating the engine failure and coming down and my instructor looks at me or not the instructor the, the examiner looks at me and says says so you're going to make that field and i go nope <laughs> goes now what are you gonna do and i immediately looked left right said i'm going to that field instead and started to make the turn and then he added power and um, anyways so yeah i maybe that's why this catches my attention congratulations to this pilot i surely don't mean to uh, to uh, be critical this is in, in 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 standard parlance it was a good landing just not a great landing yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. The great landing being where you can use the airplane again. Yeah. So anyways, that was good stuff. Good stuff. Eventually it will be a great landing because it, it, it like Jeb said, it looks like the airplane will uh, survive. It's going to need some wing work and, and uh, it looks like it's going to need a new prop and that may me entail an engine tear down, but as long as the owner has good insurance, it'll be in the air again. And yep. folks out in Afton, Wyoming, can help him with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, congratulations. Is his name in the? Uh, is the pilot's name in the story? Let's see here. Not that I see. Um, no, it just keeps referring to the pilot. So we don't know this pilot's name, but congratulations to him or her um, for. Uh, for getting to walk away. And, and the Seminole State College driving track in Geneva, Florida, can uh, stencil an airplane up next to the door. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they get to put a, to put an airplane uh, symbol underneath the door. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, one bit of administrative thing I just want to jump in here with. Um, so for over a year now, we've been getting a generous support from many listeners who have made per-episode contributions through the online service Patreon. Uh, Throughout this fall, uh, we here at UCAP are going to try to increase the number of listeners who support the podcast in this way. Uh, With increased financial support, we'll be able to produce the podcast on a little more regular schedule and maybe even do more field reporting from aviation events around the country. To encourage listeners to become patrons and maybe sweeten the deal a little bit, uh, we've defined our first reward level on Patreon. Uh, Now, patrons who support the podcast at a level of $3 or more per episode will receive an exclusive short after-show podcast of the three of us chatting after the episode. Uh, In this special episode, we might review our discussion of some subject we covered in the regular episode. We might answer some questions from listeners. We may just babble on for a bit about who knows what. Time will tell. Uh, But to receive this special episode, go to the Patreon site and support us at $3 or more per episode and make sure you check the box that's or the button um, that says receive reward. Uh, And uh, as always, thanks to everyone for listening and for supporting the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. Some people, um, longtime listeners of the podcast and certainly friends of ours may know, probably know, that uh, one of Dave Higdon's nicknames is Doc. Some people refer to you as Doc. One day I'm going to get you to tell me the story of why they call you Doc. But that's not the Doc we're talking about right now. Um, Doc, the airplane, the uh, second uh, airworthy B-29, went flying again, huh? David, you put this on the list, I believe. Um, What's the story here? Well, uh, on the flight back, or just before flying back from NBAA on uh, November 4, I bumped into a fellow Wichita who told me that uh, he'd heard through the grapevine that Doc was going to be getting some airtime that weekend. Uh, They need to put time on it so that they can get it flown off and freed from the chest area. So they were planning on flying at hidden different uh, airports, doing touch-and-goes, takeoffs and landings. Uh, They were hoping to put 8 to 10 hours on the airplane that weekend. And true enough, the the next day, Saturday, uh, I was out walking uh, Charlotte the Hound, and I heard the sound of a round engine. And then I realized that it was more than one round engine, and right over my house, right over my park, goes Doc. Awesome. That's nice. Yeah. So it it got a workout that weekend, and uh, the uh, the Doc's friends put a uh, a bit of video on uh, online, which we'll have a link to, and then jump ahead a, another weekend to uh, CBS's Sunday morning. 
not that weekend, but the weekend following. And they did about a four and a half minute segment on Doc hmm. that included the first flight and included some flights from that weekend. Uh, so the, the uh, old bird is getting uh, getting some time built and it's getting some uh, uh, publicity and it's getting the kinks worked out mm-hmm. and uh, all good things. It's uh, all needed. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I'm looking at the video right now, I, I, the uh, muted sound, but uh, um, so I'm watching it on a browser that does not. So it, this is one of these cool 360 degree real time videos where you can kind of like pan around the uh, the cockpit while the video is mo- is uh, moving. And uh, but if you watch it on a on oh a, wow, you can yeah, that's slicker now, it's not yeah <laughs> yeah. But if you watch it on a browser that doesn't support that feature, then what you see is this this contorted, uh, distorted uh, panorama shot of the uh, cockpit. And uh, but yeah, no, yeah, you can if you've got the right kind of browser, which is most any browser except mine, um, you can pan around in that. And uh, I'll yeah. say it's working. It's working in my Firefox. Yeah, yeah. So it's working in Chrome. Cool stuff. Well, there we go. We've pretty much identified now my browser. (laughs) (laughs) Cough, cough, Safari, cough, Yeah, right, I know. (coughs) Yeah. It may not be a Safari thing. It may be a Flash thing. I won't run Flash on my Safari browser. So anyways, cool stuff. Docs continues to to make progress and uh, in its... What I consider its trip to Oshkosh, but that may be... Others may have a different view of the goal in mind here. Um, well, and there's when you click on that link, if you look to the uh, little column on the right side, you'll find some other links there that show Doc flying. Yeah. And uh, uh, it also, uh, it's uh, older and more famous cousin, Fifi. So, yeah, that's and good. there's a, uh, yeah. there, there's a whole... A whole bunch of video on here about the history of Doc and how it came out of the desert and so forth. So, right. right. Yeah, that's the dream flyby is to see these two B-29s uh, together yeah. doing a low pass over the runway over 1836 at Oshkosh. Oh, man, and it gave me such chills. I bet. I mean, it, it came over my neighborhood at about 1,200. Oh. Uh, yeah. Those big round engines rumbling. uh sunlight glittering off of it because it was a nice blue sky day with a little bit of cloud cover. It was, yeah, I'm truly glad I got to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. So uh, uh, another NTSB thing, I, this is a complicated story for me because I have odd emotions about one part of this. And, and, and when we get to that, I'll, 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 I'll confess my, my, uh, my bias here. But uh, NTSB issued a safety alert on mid-airs. Um, apparently, a couple of, uh, of uh, findings came up recently that involved mid-airs, and so the NTSB chose to uh, issue a special alert to warn people to be careful out there. Good advice. Um, and uh, I don't know if you have any guys have anything to say about that, that alert. Um, you know. Well, it's... <laughs> The alert in general. I, what I want to talk about just a little bit, um, because I think I'm starting to belabor this, but I want to talk about the F-16 C, uh, Cessna 150 midair um, yeah. just a little bit. So, uh, but but the anything about the uh, the safety alert on midairs in general? Let me let me let me load it real quick. Yeah, I I, um, I have it. I just let me find it real quick. Um, yeah. 
So I, I'm, let me just read a couple graphs or one part of one graph from, this is the AvWeb story, NTSB issues safety alert on midairs. The NTSB this week completed its investigation of two fatal midair crashes that occurred in 2015. Um, and on Wednesday, they issued a safety alert urging pilots to make use of cockpit technologies that can help them to see and avoid other aircraft. The alert reviews the two recent crashes as well as two earlier ones and notes that in each case, the pilot had access to technology in the cockpit that may have helped avert the crash if it had, if, if it had been utilized. Um, it's, the paragraph goes on to say, the traditional see and avoid practice has inherent limitations, the NTSB said, including aircraft blind spots, operational distractions, and human error, which, quote, leave even the most diligent pilot vulnerable to the threat of a mid-air collision with an unseen aircraft, end quote. In both mid-air accidents, uh, the pilots were talking to ATC. What do you think? Hey, it's good advice, I guess. I, I, I'm a little bit you know, as a pure VFR pilot, um, the, the notion that being VFR isn't good enough somehow um, is, is a little troubling, but this is not bad advice, especially since most VFR pilots have access to, 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 to technology that they didn't have back in the purely Cub days, you know. I think most VFR pilots is perhaps an overstatement. Um yeah there's there's ADSBN and in in that but um uh, there's a lot of airplanes and a lot of pilots out there that that don't avail themselves of uh, of those those capabilities um if, uh, one thing here too let me uh July 715 um I want to find out if there's been a um, I want us to see if there's been a uh, final, a probable cause determination. Yeah, this is the the, the F-16 in, in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. There's several, several things going on there. First of all, um, um, could you quickly summarize the situation? Yeah, um, there's an F-16. Um, uh, uh, operating, it was doing, uh, opinions vary, or, or, or stories vary here, it was either doing a post-maintenance test flight of, of some of the navigation equipment on board, or it was doing uh, practice instrument approaches into, uh, um, I guess, uh, Charleston. Um, um, and uh, nearby, while, while this F-16 was um, low within 2,000 feet AGL and fast around 250 knots in, in some some instances slightly in excess of 250 knots ground speed. Um, uh, a Cessna 150 with two aboard departed Monk's Corner, South Carolina, uh, on a local uh, on a on a pleasure flight. Um, the uh, um, F-16 was talking to ATC. Uh, the Cessna 150 was not, although it was very early in that flight for uh, for the 150, and uh, their intent certainly would have been, certainly could have been, to to talk to ATC as soon as they got uh, 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 some altitude and uh, got on course and, and that kind of thing. But um, uh, ATC uh, warned the F-16 pilot of the uh, 
of the radar target. Uh, the was the 150 was was squawking, if not talking, um, and um, um, yeah. Told the controller told the F-16 pilot three or four times about this traffic and its its proximity, its its azimuth from the F-16. Um, at no point did the F-16 uh, at no point within you know. Five, at least not within five seconds of the collision, did the F-16 pilot um, take any evasive action or or turn to modify uh, his trajectory? Um, the the uh, the two aircraft collided. Uh, basically, the 150 disintegrated. Um, the uh, F-16 crashed several miles away after the pilot ejected. Uh, the, the NTSB's probable cause finding reads as follows. Uh, the National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable causes of this accident to be the approach controller's failure to provide an appropriate resolution to the conflict between the F-16 and the Cessna. Yeah. Contributing to the accident were the inherent, inherent, excuse me, inherent limitations of the see-and-avoid concept, resulting in both pilots' inability to take evasive action in time to avert the collision. Um, I don't agree that the approach controller failed to provide an appropriate resolution. That's my view exactly, yes. Yeah. I'd have to go back and pause through the transcript, which I'm liable to do uh, if for no other reason than uh, um, covering this in aviation safety. But um, the uh, controller gave the, uh, I think, made suggestions to the F-16 pilot to turn. And, and, uh, and my, to modify my his the transcript wasn't yeah. it weren't suggestions they were instructions. Okay. All right. The controller said, "If you don't see the airplane, turn immediately." Uh huh. All right. Uh-huh. The controller used the word, "If you don't see it, immediately." All right. Yeah. And and the the F sixteen pilot did not turn immediately. All right. I just so. Just to be clear, I've wondered over the years, we've talked about this incident a couple of different times on the podcast, and I always have strong emotions of it, and I've often wondered why I have such strong emotions about it. Um, because I have total respect for the military flying you know, um, um, you know, pilots, and uh, I'm, I don't know why I'm so down on this particular military pilot, but I always have been. Um, and I think, and here's my bias, and I confess, it's because there was a 150 involved here. I identify with these 150 um, uh, pilots, passengers, you know, you know, occupants. Um, and it just, you know, I, I just, it troubles me deeply. Um, and now for them to have put it on the controller, you know, it's like yet again, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I, again, I'm going to, to pause through this a lot more. I'll yeah, take, take a your, look and, and take your word for, uh, um, um, uh, if you don't see this guy turn immediately, yeah. um, I believe, I, <clears throat> I believe, I believe that is in fact the case. There was, there were a lot of, of, I did, I did read the transcript and uh, earlier on, there's a lot of encouragement from the, uh, uh, from the controller, uh, to the F-16 pilot to do something, not just sit there fat, dumb and happy. Yeah. And, and Jack, I share your concerns, uh, in this area also, um, it's not the first time that um, uh, a military aircraft has um, collided with a general aviation aircraft, and it won't be the last. And I, I come at this from a couple of different directions, perhaps. Um, I think it's 
um, easy to presume that the military pilot has more training mm-hmm. than the GA pilot. I think it's easy to presume that the military aircraft is more capable, higher performance than the GA aircraft. And I think um, the military aircraft always has um, other eyes on this situation, be they radar, be they a wingman, be they both. Um, the military pilot simply has more uh, resources yeah. uh, in, this, in this instance. The, the, the GA pilot wasn't doing anything wrong. And in fact, the NTSB did um, what I would call uh, um, studies of the cockpit visibility uh, capabilities of, of both aircraft and basically determined that the, uh, the, conflict, the conflicting traffic was apparent uh, to both aircraft for like one second before the collision. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know what word to use here. Irresponsible is certainly uh, a word, lackadaisical. Uh, it's, it's all of those things and perhaps more for the military pilot not to have taken some, I won't call it evasive, but some remedial action to avoid this, this collision. It, it's just a simple, I call it airmanship. It's, it's just a simple thing that you do, if for no other reason than courtesy mm-hmm. to another pilot and another aircraft. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The, the NTSB's, uh, David, you're awful quiet. Do you have anything to add to this? Not really. Uh, I, I, I kind of come down the same side as you guys. I, I, I hang this more on the uh, F-16 pilot than I do on the controller. Uh, the, the controller obviously performed his job and informed the, the, the pilot. And since he wasn't in contact with the 150, had no role there. Uh, and having flown in airplanes with both TCAS 2 and the TISB, the, the ADSBN service, uh, I got to tell you, when the little box quips up that we've got a threat, you better believe that we start to maneuver away from our perception of where the threat's coming from. Uh, that said, coming back from uh, NBAA uh, earlier this month, I'm sitting in an aircraft that's got TCAS 2 active in it. It means it's authorized to perform its own resolutions if there's a traffic conflict. And the TCAS system will give you resolution advisories on which way to do that. Uh And it's not perfect technology. Uh, Neither TCAS nor TISB are 100% accurate 100% of the time. And we had instances where we're at flight level 400, and we see traffic on the, uh, on the screen. And when it's about three miles away from us, it just bloody disappears. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, you know, we, because of the guidance available from the system, we were already looking out the window for it, and we both spotted it. And this happened not one time, but multiple times. Uh-huh. One of the times we never saw the bloody airplane, yeah. which just freaked us out tremendously. But we didn't get a resolution advisory 
So, you know, the system's last record of that aircraft was that it was far enough below us and at stable altitude that it wasn't a conflict. But it just dis- disappeared off the screen, mm-hmm. only to reappear about three miles on the other side of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. So there's a blind spot in this technology. Now, it's not supposed to exist, particularly with TCAS 2, but it does. Yeah. And occasionally... You won't you won't see what you're about to get, but in the case of the F-16 pilot, it, it, in my mind, it, a controller tells me if I don't see something, I need to m- maneuver. Uh, I'm going to give myself five more seconds to look, and then I'm maneuvering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, it's a it, it, keep your eyes open. Use all of the th- tools available to you. Yeah. Um, and I, I just the other thing I would I would say here is is uh, where the NTSB is is talking about how seeing um, avoid concept has inherent limitations. Yeah, I think we all know that. Um, um, what I'm I'm concerned. I guess where I'm headed here is um, by harping on how inadequate seeing avoid is. I, I'm concerned the NTSB is trying to trend towards some hardware, software, automation solution to prevent mid-air collisions. When mid-air collisions are, <clears throat> A, fairly rare, mm-hmm. uh, B, really only happen, uh, I won't say only, uh, uh, rarely happen anywhere other than in the immediate environment around an airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and C often happen, often being a relative term, often happen at controlled airports, at towered airports. Yeah. In this same safety alert the NTSB published, um, they talk about a related accident, between related mid-air collision between a Cessna 172 and a, a Rockwell uh, uh, Sabreliner that also happened in 2015. This was at a tower facility, Brownfield Municipal Airport in San Diego, California. Yeah. This, the, and, and that was a, apparently, it, it, it's always possible to say that the pilots of both aircraft failed to see and avoid the other aircraft. That's axiomatic. That's uh, uh, self-evident. Um, but... Um, Controllers often play a role here also, and they certainly did to San Diego, and I think they certainly did, uh, possibly did in the in the Monk's Corner accident. It's I put the lion's share of the blame on the F-16 pilot in that event. But um, the, the punchline is, um, you know, some of our listeners may have a traffic accident on their way home today. Mm-hmm. Collisions happen. Um, they're a little bit... They can be uh, a, a little bit more uh, traumatic uh, when they happen in an airplane. Uh, but anytime there's more than two machines uh, on the roadways or two machines aloft uh, in the sky, chances are they're, eventually they're going to collide. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, all right. I think we've... We've exhausted. Stick a fork in that one. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. There's no good answer to it. It's just that the whole thing is troubling in so many different ways. Let's let's be careful out there. Let's be totally careful out there. Shout outs. What do we got here? 
the list is pretty sparse. Anything else going yeah, on you guys is. want to call attention to? Well, let me look here. Somebody do something. No. We'll just, do we want to? What do we want to say? What do we want to say about Yellville, Arkansas? Uh, I don't know. What do we want to say about Yellville, Arkansas? This is the the turkey drop thing. The turkey drop thing. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm up to speed on this story. What is it? Did the the the, the, uh, the FAA blessed the turkey drop? Is that what happened? <sighs> well, I'm not all that. I, I thought I didn't. I I can. Uh, David, it seems like the story you'd be up to speed on. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> gobble, gobble, gobble. Yeah. Uh, the uh, FAA had signed off on the, the turkey drop, but I'm not sure that it went forward because of uh, uh, protests by animal rights activists. And uh, if memory serves, I don't have the the, the uh, story in front of me. Uh, they were airworthy turkeys. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Were they, they were not. They were not frozen turkeys. Well, no, I don't. They, they but, were not only not frozen turkeys. They weren't domestically raised turkeys. That's my so, question that's, exactly yeah. right. Because that's uh, the distinction here is that uh, is that uh, farmed turkeys, um, white feathered turkeys, if you will, um, have largely lost the ability to fly. Um, but but wild turkeys, the animal, not the drink. Um, are able to fly. As a matter of fact, I saw a bunch of them just landed. They're all over the place up here in New England. I don't know if that's true around the country. But you see wild uh, turkeys wandering. And they usually see them walking. They'll walk out on the road all the time. And they come Oh, we, we, we get them on the migration south uh, yeah. in, in yeah. Oak Park next to yeah. my house. I get, I get wild turkeys here. And okay, and so I'm sitting here at Lookout Point the other day uh, at my at my desk at my keyboard uh, where I can kind of and, and I'm sort of facing out into the front yard across, looking out across the water, and I suddenly out of the corner of my eye notice great big bird landing in my front yard right out right out in front of my house. All right, and I, my first excited thought was because we every now and then are getting eagles. We're getting bald eagles here, which is very cool. All right, and I thought bald eagle just landed in my front yard, and so I look more closely. <laughs> it was a turkey. It was an ugly old turkey, um, and then two more landed. All right, they just flew in and landed in my front yard and then uh, must have landed out of my sight there was uh, there was eventually like eight or ten of them wandering around my yard um so i observed them flying the wild turkeys uh, um, can fly so you're saying david that's what they were planning on heaving out of this, this that crowd. that was my understanding yeah. they were not they were not let's be clear they were not trying to recreate the episode of WKRP at Cincinnati. <laughs> Which never gets old. I just love... Which never, it's ne- never gets old. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, so, okay. With God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can. They they, can. Yeah, some can, some can't. Some, uh, some can. <laughs> all, all of which, you know, raises some other questions. For example... What is the VNE of a wild turkey? Is there a speed after which it's out of control? Is there a speed after which, beyond which, uh, it, 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 if it d- deployed its wings, uh, it, would, it would lose feathers? It yeah, would I lose uh, structural that, yeah. integrity. Yeah. Is there a, but is there but a- con- conversely, is there a speed below which? the turkey would would be able to establish and maintain control. I I think perhaps more studies are necessary. I think this would be a very interesting study actually. Yes. It, there there might, I would I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to speculate I'm going to hypoth- hypothesize that there is a limited window um of of speed 
within which yes. the air, the the bird can spread its wings and successfully fly, versus spreading its wings and having them ripped off. Right. Uh, or, yeah, or, or, or fractured. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and are the birds smart enough? I, and I'm sure they are. Quite frankly, uh, the birds are really good at flying. Well, there's, there's no, there's, there, you're assuming facts without evidence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's yeah. no evidence whatsoever that these these turkeys there's are smart very... enough, smart enough to realize that they went from relatively motionless inside uh, a mechanical contrivance to uh, falling through the air within you know three or four seconds. Um, let's 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 be clear though. We're not in favor of abusing animals. We're not in favor of throwing animals out uh, out of airplanes. No, we, we 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 prefer throwing them into ovens. Yes, yes. Um, but um, this does raise some interesting aerodynamic questions. Uh huh. And, and we have to figure out a way to resolve these questions without harming any more birds. Okay. And I, I, I don't know how to do that yet. Um, but, I, you know, I'm always, I'm always reminded of the old backseat column, the Gordon Baxter column, uh-huh. about, about uh, the, the skydiving cat. The cat, yeah, okay, yep, yep. I, I, uh, I know the story you're talking about. Yes, yeah, but. yeah. So, so I, you know, there, it is what it is. The ben, ben, comedian Ben Bailey, all right, um, most famous for being the host of Cash Cab for a long time on, I don't know what, Comedy Central or one of those channels. Um has a very, very funny routine that he does in his stand-up act, or did in one of his comedy specials, about um, a class of birds that are known as slightly airworthy. And apparently that's a categorization. We'll find a link to that and put it in the show notes. But uh, So, you know, maybe, I don't know, are, are, are wild turkeys only slightly airworthy? Um, I don't know. They're actually quite strong flyers, the wild ones are. I mean, they migrate uh, a significant dif- distance every year. And give a lot of hunters a fall opportunity to feather their nest on Thanksgiving, if you will. <laughs> okay. All right. What else? Other shout outs? Yeah. Uh, these brothers who uh, have spent significant time uh, to create a uh, Bristol Scout type seaplane once flown during World War II by their grandfather. Uh, the grandfather, Francis Donald Holden Bremner, uh, was a descendant of shipbuilders. Uh, his great-grandsons, David and Rick, uh, this is in the U.K., uh, they decided that it would be a, a, a great homage to their grandfather's World War One service if they were uh, able to uh, find and recreate a Bristol Scout, which they've done. Uh, with some of it original equipment, uh, no word yet on whether they've actually gotten it signed off to fly or who would fly it. But uh, I got to give a shout out to these guys. Uh, they've spent years on, on this, uh, eight, nine years to uh, honor their grandfather. And way to go, guys. Yeah. Very nice. Very That's nice. very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, to, uh, I'll give a real quick shout out to one of my neighbors, um, Danny Whitman. Um, Danny is the uh, grandson of uh, a friend, a mutual friend of all of ours, David Whitman, who, who passed away last year. Uh, Danny is uh, 16. Uh, he is taking flight instruction from his uncle in that same champ 
that uh, uh, Jack and I have flown uh, with Dave. Um, Danny has soloed uh, that champ and, and is cleared uh, Ooh, by his uncle. Way to, way to cleared, go. Yeah, cleared by his uncle to uh, fly around the local area in that champ. Uh, but in all, none of which is out, uh, you know, all that abnormal. Uh, many of our listeners uh, uh, probably know someone right now who is 16 years old and, and is cleared to solo uh, an airplane. Here's the punchline. Um, this particular champ has no electrical system. Danny is hand-propping this airplane to get it started uh-huh. and, and flying it around and uh, uh, doing all this on his own at 16. And I just think that's really freaking cool. It is cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Way so, to go, Danny. Yeah, so my hat's off to Danny. Uh, uh, you might be hearing more about Danny in the future. Very, very Would cool. Would not be surprised. Yeah. 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 Is that it? Fork time? We done? Yeah, that's it for me. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's always a blast to get together and talk with you. Uh, my two good friends here. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what's going on? What you working on? You're just, uh, trying, to You're just trying to get back to 100% right now, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I uh, just uh, got caught up with my contributions to Avionics News, and uh, my, one of my latest projects for them is the cover story on the uh, November issue of Avionics News, so looking at the uh, countdown to 2020 for uh, the ADSB mandate at 37 months out, and uh, had a more interesting NBAA than usual. Uh, yeah, you did. Uh, the right. uh, David. Oh my gosh! I'm so sorry. I completely forgot. De- Jeb, you had an opportunity in one of the uh, or the NBAA daily to congratulate right. David. Right. And, and although I've con- congratulated him offline, let me say publicly, David, congratulations for such a well-earned honor that they paid you at NBAA. Um, Jeb, remind me what that uh, honor was called. <sighs> this, David, you tell this, us what was it called. It's the Gold Wing Award gotcha. for uh, Journalism Excellence uh, in Aviation, and uh, the uh, nomination came from my uh, editorial uh, director at Av Buyer Magazine, a gentleman named Jack Alcott, uh, who, not coincidentally, uh, was a former editor of Business and Commercial Aviation Magazine and a former president of NBAA. And Jack and I brainstormed a series of stories about using uh, business aircraft internationally at the 2015 NBAA convention in Las Vegas. And it took me a little while to get it off the ground. The first piece was published in March. The last piece is coming up in December. And uh, Mr. Alcott nominated me back earlier this year because he thought the series uh, was uh, up to the standard to make it competitive for the award. And over the uh, over my uh, scrambled eggs and, uh, and bacon at the uh, media breakfast on opening day, I really wasn't paying attention. I was sitting next to a couple of old friends of ours, one of them a former uh, acting administrator of the FAA, Barry Valentine, who's been on the podcast, yeah. uh-huh. and the uh, guy that has my old beat at the Wichita Eagle, Jerry Siebenmark, and the chairman came up on the stage to uh, start the, the program, which starts with the Journalism Award. And I stopped talking. We all stopped talking. And I was only half listening. I was concentrating on breakfast when Jerry nudged me and said, uh, Dave, they just called your name. 
<laughs> what? Huh? What? Seriously, that's yeah. the way it went. They didn't give you any warning at all. I had no. I knew I'd been nominated, and I was happy that uh, Jack thought it enough of the series to nominate me. And I pretty much put it out of my mind after he and I talked about its chances competitively. And uh, I, I forgot about it and wasn't really listening to the presentation. I figured I'd clap because whoever won would be somebody that I knew, uh, a staffer at one of the uh, other magazines. And I looked up from breakfast and there's my name projected uh, with the uh, Goldwing Award for Journalism Excellence, David Higdon, and thought, Oh crap! I have thirty <laughs> seconds and a hundred and a hundred and thirty feet to come up with something to say. <laughs> well, you know, when I heard first heard about this, um, and I hadn't been warned, I didn't know it was coming. So on one level, I was surprised, but then the moment I heard it, I said, "No, I'm not surprised at all, David. You totally deserve this and earned it, and have just made a obviously made a huge contribution to uh, to aviation journalism and business aviation and other parts of aviation as well." So my congratulations to you publicly um, thank you for this terrific thing yeah, I, I feel really fortunate that my original plans to be a washington post investigative reporter didn't work out <laughs> and you're obviously <laughs> a better man than i am because when i got nominated to to uh, for the uh, aviation podcaster of the year i not only didn't forget i went out and actively campaigned i mean i was out there man you'd think i was running for some elected office or something like that so uh, you know you're just a clearly you know you know you're a much more uh, modest guy than i am so well a kind of a quick shout out to my uh, friends at NBAA, uh, Ed Boland, the president, and Dan Hubbard, the senior VP of communications. I got a lovely uh, uh, photograph of me accepting the award in a nice uh, handwritten note from uh, from um, Ed uh, uh, a few days ago. And it's my uh, it's it, it's it's a nice memento. It shows me up on the stage mm-hmm. with the uh, trophy and the check and. The, you know, the giant two-by-four-foot check that won't fit in the <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Very, very cool. Congratulations. That's great. Thanks. That's great. Yeah, that's Where cool. can people find out about this and other things that you're doing on, on the Internet, David? Well, the NBAA.org, you can find a press release about the uh, uh, award they gave me at the uh, convention. Uh, AEA.net for uh, my avionics news work. Avbuyer.com for my... Uh, my monthly contributions there and my weekly business aviation blog uh, contribution there. So we do a blog for them every week, mm-hmm. uh, runs every Friday. Yeah, very cool. And on Twitter, you are? Uh, Real Higdon. There you go. There you go. And my other good friend here, uh, 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 last but not least, uh, uh, belatedly, but, but oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Uh, <laughs> Jim Burnside. We spent a lot of time talking about David, but it's a special week for David. It is. Uh, Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? Um, Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Um, let's see. Well, getting ready for the January issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Um um, got a lot of little opportunities, a lot of big opportunities, I should say, for, for stories in that. I'm kind of waiting to see how that's all going to shift out. So I can't really billboard anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, got a piece in an upcoming issue of uh, Avionics News uh, from the Aircraft Electronics Association. Uh, always uh, doing stuff for general aviation news. And uh, you never know where else I might turn up these mm-hmm. days. So cool. there you go. Yeah. yeah. And on the internet, you are? 
uh, Burnside J on the Twitter machine. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I just got back from a really cool... I, I go to a lot of conferences and trade shows and things, and uh, and, and a lot of them are very cool. Um, I just came back from one that was really cool. Not aviation-related, but technology. Um, the Autodesk uh, big annual show in Las Vegas, where they bring in... Autodesk, of course, does all kinds of graphics and 3D and, and CAD and whatnot software. Um, and uh, we were out there uh, supporting the show with a, a big computer network. And I got a chance to uh, look at a lot of the things that were going on there. And um, boy, just a lot of cool stuff that, that Autodesk has its hand in. Um, the, a, lot of sol a lot of cool uh, 3D printing stuff and CNC milling stuff. And, uh, um, and uh, I'm trying to learn a little bit more about this software. And it actually might play into aviation because I think that there's a, a place for people to use um, this new desktop fabrication stuff for creating aviation parts. Um, hmm. I, of course, there are a lot of safety and regulation issues there, but uh, I think that 3D printing and uh, CNC milling machining um, have a lot of potential. In, in uh, Auto, Autodesk and Katia have both been heavily used in aviation for some time now. Yeah. So. yeah. And uh, so that was a really cool show. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I saw some really cool things there. And, uh, and uh, I may be talking about, about more about that in the future. Anyways, uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson and uh, learn more than you really want to ever want to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help in the show notes and in the forums and all the other different ways that Jeff uh, in, uh, helps us and supports us. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, please go into iTunes and uh, give us a review and uh, click some stars and thumbs ups or, or, or that kind of thing. Um, it really does help get the word out about the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class the letter G airspace. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. And you can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website, 10 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. Um, and, uh, and last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of this is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, something you wanted to add here. The key to long life is aviation because uh, you've heard this before. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. We're proof. So long. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I got nothing. <laughs>